Well, if you guys are, are like me at all, um, you've probably been kind of running your life uh, through a little bit of a filter here the last few weeks. At least I know I have as we've begun this series on the way of Jesus. I've been trying to kind of evaluate, you know, is the way that I'm leading, is the way that I'm loving, is the way that I'm living really in the way of Christ, or am I just doing it my way, putting a Christian label on it and just asking God to bless it? And a lot of times those are two very different things. Last week we looked at this verse in 1 John uh, 2.6 that said this, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So how did he live? And, and not so much uh, what did he say, but how did he go about embodying the truth and the life? What is the way of Jesus? And last week we kind of dug into uh, kind of these competing tensions that we deal with as Americans for sure. Is this, this storyline that we've been fed our whole life here of upward mobility, of bigger and better and more success, and that's how we get approval and praise in this world and supposedly feel satisfied and all that stuff. And then we compared it to the consistent and faithful downward mobility of Christ. And we acknowledge that there's a tension in those two things. And we've had to ask some, some tough questions. How do we reconcile the fact that Jesus' example was that he left the throne room of God and he humbled himself to be born in a cave? How do we reconcile the, the way in which he lived his life, which he could have stayed in Nazareth and been comfortable, but he, he left and he was homeless and he wandered around and allowed himself to be killed just as a common criminal? And we talked about how, how do we, what do we do with that, that tension that comes about knowing that our current reality here in America in 2015 looks a lot different than the way Jesus went about doing life. And so it's a, it's a necessary thing. It's a challenging question that we need to wrestle with, and that's where we're trying to get. So today we're going to start going through some of the Gospels and just kind of walking through Jesus' life. We're going to do this kind of throughout this next school year and paying attention to the ways in which Jesus lived his life. So last week we talked a little bit just about his birth and kind of how he came pretty humbly and unassuming. Right after, if you read through uh, you know, the book of Luke or Matthew, you kind of have the birth narratives of Christ. You see the story that Jesus then and his, his uh, parents, Mary and Joseph, uh, had to flee to Egypt the king at the time, Herod, uh, heard about this prophecy that this Savior was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so when the word comes out about Jesus, everybody's he's kind of panicking. And so they have to flee. And so they go away to Egypt long enough for Herod to die. Um, and then they come back to the nation of Israel and end up settling in the northern part, which is called Galilee, in a town called Nazareth. And so that's where uh, Jesus was raised. And the story picks up from there in Matthew chapter 3 with Jesus' cousin, this guy named John the Baptist. And many of you have heard of him. He's, he's a guy who had a specific calling on his life. God kind of tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, I want you to be the person that goes ahead of my son and kind of prepares the way for him. And so in the, the story about John the Baptist, he goes out into the, the wilderness and, and kind of the side streets and, and he starts preaching this message of repentance, of, of telling people, hey, you need to get your hearts right. You need to get ready, be prepared for this Christ that's coming and this message that he's going to deliver. 
And so it's time to, to turn away from your old ways of living. And so then when Jesus becomes 30, because that's the age when, when men would become rabbis in, in Israel's history, okay, and, it's, and that, that's kind of how it went. So Jesus wanted to honor that. So at the age of 30, he begins his public ministry, and then we see this scene where John the Baptist and Jesus kind of collide in this pretty spectacular event. So I want you to open your Bibles um, to Matthew chapter 3. It's page 676 in your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 3. Starting in verse 13, it says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So this is fitting. We just baptized some folks last weekend, so we got to see a living example of some of this stuff. But this scene makes it pretty clear who Jesus is, right? I mean, the voice of God says, That's my Son. So It kind of gives everybody around a pretty clear picture of what Jesus' identity was. And and as you're reading this, and if you're there at that moment at the river, and you're seeing this happen, you're probably thinking, all right, man, like this is... This is getting exciting. I mean, this is a pretty spectacular event. A voice of God, and this light comes down in the spirit, and, you know, heaven's talking to us. And, and if you were there, I'm sure you were thinking, oh, man, what's next? Like, what's the next miracle, the next magic trick, right? And let's see what happens next. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it's like God just like puts the brakes on, right? And he says, whoa, wait a minute. And Jesus is sent into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. So this was a God-imposed timeout. Okay, God leads him there. And as we'll see, it was was a a necessary step to, to kind of pause a little bit here to clarify the way in which Jesus would go about fulfilling his calling. Okay, and this is not just good for Jesus, it's good for all of us. And if you've ever been at a place in your life where you felt like God calling you to something, whether that's, you know, calling you to be a young life leader or to start a church or to be a teacher or whatever it is, that we all have this time, this necessary time to kind of be stepping away from that maybe pressing need. You know, maybe there's kids to be fed and you're like, oh man, I've got to meet that need. God's calling me to that. It's time to get away from the crowd, the noises, the distractions, even good voices sometimes. To hear from God about the way in which that mission will be carried out. And the way in which God might be asking you to live out that calling. There's no doubt that there are plenty of good things to be done in the world, right? The number of good things to be done for people in this town is limitless. But how we go about doing it is really critical really critical. When we 
first kind of started to sense the call to start this church. That was in August, around August of 2004. We didn't have our first service here until October of 2006. It was almost two years later. And we needed a wilderness time to kind of sort through. I mean, if we wanted to, that next week, we had enough musicians and I could speak and we had people to work. I mean, we could have started a church and put something on. But it wouldn't necessarily have been in the way that Jesus wanted it to go. And so we needed time to hear that and to be clear about what he was calling us to. How were we going to be the church in St. Joseph? And this narrative in chapter 4 that we're going to look at today portrays the way of Jesus being tested against the way of the devil. And, And it kind of brings to light the gap between those two ways. So that's what we're going to look at. So let's, let's look at uh, verse 4. I mean, sorry, chapter 4. We'll start again in, in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So we're going to unpack this a little bit this morning. And I think it's important, just big picture-wise, is that you notice that Satan doesn't try to say really anything about Jesus' calling. He doesn't really challenge his calling at all. What he really challenges is the the way in which he's going to go about living out that calling. So it's kind of this subtle thing, okay? And and he waits until Jesus seems most vulnerable, right? Like he does with a lot of us. After 40 days of no food, okay? I'm really glad that that was Jesus and not me. Because it was me, it had been like, after five days of not eating, Bob died, right? <laughs> but Jesus is still standing, I'm sure, exhausted. Because we have to remember that, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, too. So it wasn't like he wasn't hungry after 40 days, okay? And look at the first temptation. And look at how Jesus starts this, I mean, I'm sorry, how Satan starts this conversation. He says, if you are the Son of God. I mean, just 40 days earlier, a voice from heaven had just said, he's the son of God, right? And so Satan, when we're most vulnerable, guys, what he attacks again and again is our identity. And he fills us with with lies and confusion. And Henry Nouwen, uh, I read from his book a couple weeks ago, The Selfless Way of Christ. He says that this first temptation is the temptation to be relevant, to do something needed, Right? He comes to Jesus and he says, hey, you're hungry, right? Make yourself a meal, right? Do something productive here. 
seems like a good thing. But Jesus understands that the way in which he responds in this moment has eternal consequences. Because he understands that, that there's plenty of people in this world who have full tummies who are still hungry. Right? All of us here in America have full tummies all the time. But we're hungry for something meaningful, something purposeful in our lives. Hungry for nourishment that only God can provide us in relationship. You see, Satan always wants to circumvent the relationship to just get at the the need, the urgent need here and now, what we want, what we feel like we have to have. So do you see the way that the principle uh, of being lived out here by Jesus? Jesus' way focuses on the eternal. Jesus wasn't thinking about his immediate need in that moment, the need to be fed, Satan's way is to feel good now. And and the downward way of Christ shows that our personal storyline shouldn't supersede God's storyline. Because when you think about it, when we give in to temptation, we are putting our storyline ahead of God's. Jesus' way also was faithful to Scripture. His reply in every single situation was, It is written. Right? He's not really concerned with public opinion. It's really interesting when you get into conversations with Christians who have opinions about things and you ask them to kind of verify it with the Word of God or you don't even really hear them talk about the Word of God. You just hear them talking about their opinion. And you ask them and they can't really prove it or what they do is they take a verse and they kind of twist it and take it out of context and try to get it to apply to whatever it is they're doing. Or, as we've talked about too in the first week when we talked about Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, is that sometimes we have this truth, but we don't live it out or we don't apply it in a way that really represents Christ. And so Jesus was very much concerned with the word of God. So let's look at the second temptation. Verses five through seven, right? He takes him up to this holy city and says, again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he takes scripture and kind of uses it, tries to use it against Jesus, right? And the temptation here is to do something spectacular, right? Jesus, man, just dazzle the crowd, right? I mean, if you do this, you know, people are going to love you. Put on a show, Again, Satan's way here is impersonal. Again, it doesn't involve anybody else but just, you know, Jesus putting on a show. And churches can be that same way sometimes, right? Attract a crowd. There was a whole movement of churches, um, I don't know when it started, probably in the 80s, but this term attractional churches came out, right? Attract people, right? We want to get them here. So we send out postcards, right, to everybody in the 6450 whatever zip code, inviting them to come. And it's, it's just very impersonal. And we're bringing them to this show and we'll bring them here and they'll have you know, songs and lights and coffee shops and everything that they could want, video screens. And I worked at a church um, before I came here and, uh, and it, was, it, was, it was just, it just was what it was. <laughs> it was in an old school building and so the, the uh, 
sanctuary was a, a gym, had no light, screens up front, and a cameraman. Uh, first of all, the stage was, so what I would speak there during that year, I was kind of training to get ready for you guys, right? <laughs> I'd be up on stage, everybody else would be out there in the dark, I couldn't really see him, and, and, and they had my image up on the screens like while I'm speaking, like anybody else needs to see my balding head, you know, in massive proportions, right? And it's really distracting for me because I can see, you know, myself out of the corner of my eye, which is weird, and this cameraman going all around, you know, getting these angles on me. It's like, whatever, you can work all day. You know, I am what I am, 5'8", and, you know, here I am. So, but it was just strange and just really, I don't know. That's why, like, my reaction to that is the fact that I'm down here and I'm walking around very close to you guys because it was very impersonal. And it was, it was an attractional model, and it was just crazy. I didn't like it at all. And the attractional model, a lot of times, never gets to the heart of people's pain and their need for healing. And they focus on attracting a crowd instead of transforming people's lives. And the measure of success in a lot of these ministries and churches is statistics, right? To define whether your successful church is just all about who's coming, how much is in the offering, how many members do you have? How many people you baptized last year? Well, you know what isn't spectacular? What isn't spectacular is walking with a couple through, through challenges in their marriage. And what isn't spectacular is sitting down with a, a young couple who had a miscarriage. And what isn't spectacular is sitting down with a friend who has trust issues that poisons every relationship that they're in and they don't know how to operate any differently. And what isn't spectacular is sitting down with your friend who's so emotionally broken and they just can't see a way through that current painful reality that they're in. That's not very spectacular in the world's eyes because transformation is a slow process that requires patience and love and sacrifice. And it's not going to be, you know, celebrated on Sunday morning. It's probably not going to be in the church newsletter that you were there for that person. It's hard to measure in statistics. It's hard to quantify what success looks like when you're just doing life with people. But it's a whole lot easier <laughs> to just put on a show than to actually dive into the pain in people's lives. That's why we do it. Living in the way of Jesus isn't about being spectacular. It's about being fat. Faithful, available, and teachable. Right? It's not about the donuts. <laughs> it's about being faithful and available and teachable because Jesus didn't come in a spectacular way, right? He came humbly, just like all of us. He was born just like those kids were born this week. And when he was baptized, it was off in the desert, right? He could have had that done right in the middle of the temple in Jerusalem with a million people, and it could have been unbelievable. And think about the people that would have lined up to follow Jesus. But he did it out there so that people had to seek him that's the way of Jesus. Henry Nouwen explains it really well, this temptation to be spectacular that we all have. He says, how do we, become, how do we overcome this all-prevailing 
temptation. It's important to realize that our hunger for the spectacular, like our desire to be relevant, has very much to do with our search for selfhood. To be a person and to be seen, praised, and liked, and accepted have become nearly the same for many. Who am I when nobody pays attention, says thanks, or recognizes my work? The more insecure, doubtful, and lonely we are, the greater our need for popularity and praise. Sadly, this hunger is never satisfied. The more praise we receive, the more we desire. The hunger for human acceptance is like a bottomless barrel. It can never be filled. Let's look at the final temptation in verse 8. Again, the devil comes and he takes him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he says, this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So in the final scene, this temptation is to be powerful, right? And we have to remember again that we've been, we've been brought up and we've been indoctrinated in this culture of success, right? Of upward mobility, and that's how we get praised and admired in our culture, right? This past week, uh, somebody interviewed Andy Reid, the Chiefs coach, and was like, hey, how does it, you know, how does it feel to be 4-0, in the preseason, you know, and he's like, well, I mean, pretty good, I guess. I mean, he's like, America's about winning, right? Whether it's ping pong or hot dog eating contests, right? That's what our culture rewards is winning. And what was always, what's always struck me as funny as I've, you know, read this story hundreds of times probably in my life is that Satan is trying to give something to Jesus that he doesn't really have the power to give him. He, he's trying to say, hey, you can have all of this, Right? I'll give it to you. And it's like, well, God's already given him all the power to do whatever he wants to to begin with. So again, Satan's lies and he's twisting things up a little bit. And of course, Satan also puts conditions on this power. He says, you can have all of these things if you bow down and worship me. Power is defined by our enemy. Looks like every abusive description that you can imagine. So if you think about the way, the, the worst examples of power in our world, that's the power that Satan offers. Impersonal power, power that is self-centered, self-seeking, prideful, um, you know, hard-hearted, stingy, demanding, just to name a few of those things. And at the end of the Bible, in Revelations 1-5, John, one of Jesus' disciples, he, he writes and he reminds us that that Jesus already had everything that Satan was trying to offer. Look at what he says in Revelations 1, 5. He says, and this is, he's doing a greeting. So he says, greetings from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. See, just inherently in who he was, because he was God, he was already the ruler of the king of the earth. He didn't need Satan to offer that to him. And when you think about it, everything that it is that we want in life, that we're tempted by the most, God has already given us. So I want you to think about for a moment, like what is it for me, for you, that I am most tempted by? That it's like, man, I, I need to have that to feel okay. And for me, I'll get the ball rolling. All right, but I'm coming to you next. All right? For me, it's, just, it's affirmation. 
I need to hear, hey, Bob, you're doing a good job. Because growing up, I didn't have a dad around. I didn't hear that. And so I had this hole that just was kind of this bottomless pit that Nowen was talking about where it's just like, people can't tell me enough how great I am because I didn't hear it growing up, right? But again, I'm, I'm searching for something that God has already given me. He's already told me, you're amazing. <laughs> you're my son. He showed it by dying for me on the cross and offering me life, and I didn't have to do anything to deserve it. I can't be more affirmed than I am in God. But still, it's the thing that, I, that Satan says, oh, no, you need more of that to feel good. He's offering me something that I've already been given. Anybody else have examples that they can say, yeah, man, I can see that from your own life of something you're seeking that God has really already given you? If you would just receive it and accept it. Peace. Okay. Yeah. 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 So she says peace. You know, in life when storms and troubles come, we just are constantly, oh man, I just need, I just need peace in my life. You know, we talked about this at church Back in Easter, I think, you know, Jesus came and said, my peace I give to you. I, I don't give as the world gives, right? And so we talked about, we've got all the peace that we could ever need in us, in Christ. And it's there. We just have to tap into it and believe it's true. That's a great example. What else? Anything else you guys are? Validation. Validation. In what way? Like that you're... Mm. Instead of praying about yeah. the way I'm living and the things that I'm doing, so I seek out people for validation. Am I doing this right? Yeah. Instead of letting God touch my heart and tell me that what I'm doing is right. Yeah. Seeking out the validation of people, like being unsure of yourself, right? God calls you to do something, and he's been clear, and it's like, but no, I want to you know, ask 10 other people to say, am I getting this right? You know, and, I, and you're needing that assurance, right? That God has already given you. Great example. Yeah, Brittany? I think for me, it's love. Um, I look for people to fulfill kind of that void in my life. Mm. I want people to love me and like me and um, care for me. And I'm always asking him, like, do you love me? Do you know, yeah. do you feel loved or whatever? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I'm a daughter of God and he loves me, but I think it's hard for me to live that way. Yeah, yeah. She said it's love for her, you know, and that's for a lot of us. Yeah. That's really good. So, great examples. Really good examples. So Jesus' way of power doesn't look like the world's way. Right? The most powerful moment, one of the most powerful moments in Jesus' life was when he's hanging on a cross. And as the world looks up, it's just this bloody scene that looks like total failure. Even as his followers are looking at it, they're thinking, boy, that didn't end well. And what they can't see is what's going on on a spiritual level in that moment. That in that moment that looks just like utter defeat, Jesus is taking on the sins of every person who's ever lived forever and defeating Satan on that cross, right? And in the course of a weekend, he redeems every person ever <laughs> in just a few hours, I mean, that's power, right? 
not titles and positions and whatever Satan might offer him here. He already had all the power that he needed. And so for us, it's hard for us to believe a lot of times that any good or that we could have any influence could come from laying down our life and serving people. That that's power. Because a lot of times that feels like defeat. That feels like being taken advantage of, right? But through an act of humility, we identify and we connect with other people, broken and hurting people like us. And and I don't know about you guys, and I saw a tweet about this this week too that just kind of validated what I was thinking. (laughs) It's just this, is that, man, who are the leaders that you want to follow the most? Are they the ones that wield their power and are constantly reminding you that they're in charge, right? No, man, the bosses that I've had that I want to follow the most are the people that come to me and come to us as a staff and just say, man, I'm broken. (laughs) I'm hurting. I'm trying to live this way, and I'm not doing a very good job of it, and I need your prayers. I'm struggling just like you, right? Those are the people that I'm like, oh, man, I want to follow you. You're not claiming to have all the answers that you've got it all together, but you're showing me that you're just as dependent on Christ as I am. And he's just chosen you to be in this position right now. Those are the kind of people that I want to follow. That's the kind of power that's attractive. So being relevant, being spectacular, being powerful, all describe the devil's ways. And they're all temptations to the storyline of upward mobility. And trying to find our identity in what we do instead of who we are. And in the three temptations and refusals, Jesus refuses to do good things in the wrong way. He refuses to do good things in the wrong way. Particularly in ways apart from intimacy and relationships. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Jesus Way, describes it like this. He says, every time that we embrace ways other than the ways of Jesus, try to manipulate people or events in ways that short-circuit personal relationships and intimacies, we are doing the devil's work. Vigilance is required. It has always been required. It is required still in parts of the modern West where doing good work in impersonal ways is epidemic. You see, Jesus' way is always relational. Because, to be honest, he could have just come and done it all on his own. He didn't have to recruit these 12 goofballs called his disciples to do it with him. They really slowed him down a lot, right? But he modeled relationship. He modeled that his way was personal. He wanted to experience life with them, but he wanted them to experience the abundant life as he lived it and carried it out. And that's why he gives us the opportunity as well. So through this pause in the story that we've looked at today, this, this journey in the wilderness, we, we pick up on the way in which Jesus is operating here, the way in which he's attending, intending to accomplish his mission as savior of the world. And one of the things that we learn, besides for that it's relational all the time, is that we've learned that it's, it's about identity. It's about identity. The Jesus way is to be secure in who we are. Resting in that peace of God's acceptance of us 
as dearly loved children because Christ had it and it allowed him then and it allows us now, if we can live like that's true, that we know that we're loved, then we can, we can be free from the need to be seen and to be praised and to be admired. And we can just be free to love and serve and give and not expect things in return. But to really understand that way, we have to spend time in God's word. We have to know what is written so that we can utter that powerful phrase when temptation comes, when that voice says to us again, you're not loved. Ah, don't be so sure about what you're doing. Oh man, it sure would be nice if somebody would say, great sermon today. (laughs) That you can be reminded, you know what, I don't need that. I've already been given that. And I know, why do I know that? Because I know his word. (laughs) And his word tells me that. And when the enemy comes, I can look at him in the face and say, away from me, Satan. (laughs) That is a lie. It's not true. Because your word tells me that you are this way and that I am this person in you. And I don't need that. But guys, even time in his word isn't enough. Because we need time in in just what I would just call prayerful listening. Okay? That, That when we pray, it's not always about us talking to God. That a lot of times it's about us being still enough to hear what he has to say to us. And when we get still, his still small voice wants to say to us, rest. Rest in the knowledge that you are completely loved and adored as you are. My love for you is conditional, unconditional. I'm sorry, it's a big difference, right? Make sure you heard that edit, okay? My love for you is unconditional. So stop trying to meet people's needs. Stop trying to be spectacular. Stop trying to climb the ladder of success and get whatever power you can get your hands on in this world and rest in the knowledge that you are completely loved. And when we can't hear that voice and we've lost our way a little bit, that's why it's important for us to come together as a church to where I can look to my friend and say, you know what? I know you might be having a hard time believing this right now, but God so in love with you. And we can remind each other what's true about him and what's true about one another. And what an incredible gift and privilege that is to be somebody that can come alongside somebody else who's struggling and say, listen, man, <laughs> you're chasing the wrong things. God loves you. He's crazy about you just as you are. I want us to turn to Psalm 119 as we close today. If you could do that in your Bibles. It's page 425. Right? Jesus said that that the way that he resisted the the devil was to say that man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so as we look at this prayer, like a lot of prayers that as we pray this this morning, which is what we're going to do here in a second, We look at this and the things that we're about to say might not be true of us. And every week that I get up to preach a sermon, I'm saying a lot of stuff that I'm not really living. I want to. It's my heart's desire to. But if I'm honest, I'm not really 
claiming all of that as true, and you probably don't see it all in my life. So we're always being called to something beyond us a little bit, right? So as we pray this this morning, I want this to be our desire, even if it's not true of us now. And what we're going to do is we're going to start in Psalm 119. This whole psalm, if you've never read it, it's the longest one in the Bible, but it's, it talks about God's word. I want to start in verse 9 this morning. We're going to go through verse 16. And I want you to just say this out loud as a prayer with me, okay? And not one of those wimpy whispers, all right? I don't want you to mean it, okay? Here we go. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. If you want to just help yourself against temptation in this life and, and live in the Jesus way, go back to that this week. Just soak yourself in God's word and the reminders of what's true about him and what's true about you. That's the greatest defense you have, okay? And as we come to the table this morning for communion, we learn a lot about the Jesus way and how he told us to, to enter into this. Because the Jesus way is to be broken, right? To resist power, to lay down our life, to serve and love other people. And that's what Jesus did for us, right? His life was broken. His blood was poured out for you and I. Not only that we would receive it, but that we would pour it out to others as well. And so as we take some time of just silence to pray this morning, just meditate on who God is, the way in which he went about living his life, maybe what he's calling you to believe today about yourself, and then the ushers will dismiss you. You can come forward, tear a piece of bread off. We'll have servers up here and dip it in the cup. If you are gluten allergies, we have uh, crackers and a separate cup over there for you as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and... Um, God, we're just so grateful for Jesus' example. We're grateful that um, when the temptation might have been to kind of take the momentum that was there at his baptism and this amazing, spectacular scene that happened, and I'm sure the crowds that were there that day were like, all right, let's go, let's do this. And you resisted always the temptation for Jesus to be used. And you pulled him away and led him out into the wilderness to wrestle with the way in which he was going to live out this mission. And God, we need that reminder in our own lives because there's so many good things that we could be doing. But we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to go about doing it? 
Are we going to really reflect Christ in the way that we're doing this? And so thank you for your word. Thank you for the way in which Jesus went about saying no and rejecting impersonal ways. Ways that focus on just the temporary. Ways that, that were about just the crowds and keeping people happy and, and God just continuing to be humble. Continuing to rest in the knowledge that, you know what, Lord, you said that I'm your son and that you're going to do great things through me and I don't need to wow anybody, but I can do it your way and I can trust you. So God, speak to our hearts today. Hear us as we just confess our sins, the ways in which we feel like we need to be validated and to be loved and to be affirmed by the people of this world that can't really do it completely and open ourselves up to you, the one person who can really satisfy us.